What's up, Supergirl Radio listeners? This is Rebecca, and I'm so excited for you to hear this discussion on the House of L. But I wanted to make sure I gave you the information I blanked on during this conversation. The trade paperback I referenced with Supergirl trying to save the little boy with cancer is a story called Supergirl Way of the World. We covered it a while back during season zero. So if you want to go back through our archives, you can hear Teresa Giacino and me review that with our guest, Ian Boucher. Well, now that I've made up for my failing memory, I hope you enjoy this episode of Supergirl Radio. Hi, I'm Elizabeth Noyce, and you're listening to Supergirl Radio. Supergirl Radio, your source for all things related to the CW Supergirl TV series and the character of Kara Zor-El. My name is Rebecca Johnson, and with my usual co-host Morgan Glennon on vacation, she's down there in Florida living it up at Disney World, making me jealous. Uh, But for this episode, I'm very excited because I am joined by Ange of Comic Box Commentary to discuss the Season 4 episode of Supergirl titled the House of L. Welcome to Supergirl Radio, Ange. Thank you so much for uh, inviting me. I've been a listener of this show since the very first episode, uh, and uh, I do my best to sort of comment when I can, and and I'm excited to be here to talk about this show and this episode and to talk to you. So thank you so much for inviting me. Well, I've been a fan of yours for a long time because I get so much out of Comic Box Commentary. It's such a great resource for Supergirl fans, and I recommend Anybody who is interested in the comics or DC Superhero Girls or or anything related to Supergirl, go check out Ange's uh, reviews and write-ups because you do such a good job. It's a great archive. So uh, it helps me out on occasion when I don't know something. So I really appreciate the work you've done over there because you've done some fantastic work um, in the, the Supergirl fandom and on behalf of the character. So I really appreciate that. Well, thank you so much. Well, uh, we don't have any news this week. So let's get right into discussing this season four episode of Supergirl titled The House of L. And here is the official description. Quote, in the wake of Lex Luthor's return, the show flashes back to what he's been doing for the last two years and how his secret machinations and plans have affected Supergirl and Lena. And oh, man, Ange, this this episode, the timeline just kept jumping around. It went from three years ago to six months ago to nine months ago. It just, it went crazy. I mean, just insane with all the the timelines and all the things that we had to keep up with. Uh, Yeah, I think it was three years ago, six months ago, nine months ago, two weeks after Marson's resignation, four months ago, three months ago, five weeks ago, 
two days ago, and then it got to the present day. So I wasn't sure exactly how we could cover all of that. Uh, but I think one of the, the things that we could do to kind of start off a discussion is uh, to talk about Melissa's performance as what I'm calling Red Daughter. She doesn't have an official name, uh, so that's what I'm going to keep calling her until we get one. Uh, but she really had to differentiate Red Daughter from the, the Cara Zorel, Cara Danvers that we know as Supergirl. So what did you think about her performance in this episode? Hey, I have to say the, the whole episode was incredible and her performance was uh, one of the uh, most uh, incredible parts of it. For me, I think uh, the thing that got me was that you could see glimpses of the car that we know very well occasionally sort of bubble to the surface of this blank slate. Um, and then sort of uh, get pushed down a little bit uh, because of all of the things that Lex was doing. So when you see her, um, you know, the first word out of her mouth is Alex. That's the only thing that she remembers. So you know that, you know, that's because the Danvers sisters relationship is so strong. And later on, you see her smile at Mikhail, this young boy that she's befriended, which is just pure Cara Zor-El. Uh, and even when she's in uh, Kara's apartment and reading the journal and you kind of see her like almost nodding as if like it's starting to bring up some memories that she has that are sort of buried. So all of that is Kara that's buried inside this Kaznian agent who then every so often becomes, you know, angry super soldier for the Soviet Union uh, speaking uh, Russian fluently. Uh, so uh, it really was just um, a startlingly excellent performance. Yeah, I really liked that, too, that even though this red daughter, by the end of the episode, she becomes maybe a villain <laughs> who is going to go up against Supergirl. I did see glimpses of Kara in her, and I like that you brought up her relationship with little Mikhail, uh, or, or Mikhail, I guess as you say in, in Russian. I'm not very used to saying that name. I'm going to have to get used to saying that name. Uh, so Mikhail uh, was adorable, and I loved that this uh, version of Kara, this red daughter, uh, sensed someone needing help and heard pain and she wanted to rescue someone. And I thought that that was great, although she went about it maybe the wrong way. She killed a couple of guys. Uh, so maybe that was not uh, something that uh, Kara, Supergirl, would have done. Uh, but I liked that she uh, wanted to protect him and take care of him. And even when she goes with, uh, quote, Alex over to his house, she has a warm smile on her face, wants to come visit him more often. And uh, I I personally have wanted to see Supergirl on this show uh, befriend a, a, a little kid just because uh, I really like um, uh, one of those comic stories I think is, um, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on the, the, the trade paperback where she uh, befriends a little boy who has cancer. Why am I blanking on yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I called it the Saving Thomas uh, storyline. Something, um, oh crap. Well, we'll move on. I've totally blanked on the title of that. But yeah, so she befriends this little boy who has cancer. And I was very uh, drawn to that story and that side of Supergirl. And so I've always kind of really, you know, wanted the show to go there, give me something like that. And so at least I got it with uh, this Red Daughter version that that I could see what that might look like on the show. So yeah, I thought the Red Daughter brought some of those elements of, of Kara out. And Melissa just, 
I was I was pl- pretty blown away by the fact that she was able to make that character have some of those Kara Zorel Danvers elements, but she was able to make her her own character. And uh, even even though sometimes the the Russian accent might be a little hard for some somebody to do, if especially if they're an Amer- American, uh, but she I thought pulled it off pretty well, and she was pretty convincing. She had to play different versions. She had to play the red daughter who didn't know who she was. Then she had to play the red daughter trying to figure herself out. Then she had to play red daughter who uh, posed as Lin- Linda Lee, and then she had to play the red daughter who. Uh, became uh, something of a villain by the end of the episode. So it was a very wide-ranging uh, task that she had before her. Yeah, and you can almost sense that as she's going about and learning that she's starting to be like a little bit more confident and a little bit more like proud of herself. And there is this element of her wanting to please Alex, you know, Lex Luthor. But, you know, once you see she goes from, you know, being fed children's book by the Kaznians to being given like some hardcore literature to read and just devouring those books and starting to talk a little bit more like a mature person would talk, um, there was a lot of growth over this, you know, one episode that you go from somebody that doesn't know anything to somebody that actually stands up to Lex at one point and says, you know, I'm not your pet. Um, You're not here to clean up my mess. I'm my own person, you know? And so there was a whole arc here only to have it sort of squelched at the end uh, and make her more of the villain, as you say. Yeah, I I thought that was a a good use of her... uh... Uh, her super speed, I guess. She's able to super read. Um, so that was kind of uh, humorous that she was able to devour those books and and learn all of that information very, very quickly. And uh, I, I do think that the... Um, the, the way she stood up to Lex was was great because it was sort of a tie-in to uh, earlier in the episode when one of the Kaznian soldiers refers to her as a stray dog. And then she tells Lex, you know, I'm not your pet. So I thought that that was a, a, a well-written um, callback um, when she stands up to, to Alex, as it were. Uh, so I, I, I think she became kind of her own character by the end of it, but she still sort of playing into his bigger plans. Um, so I guess that's something we could uh, segue into because we learned more about Lex Luthor and we got to see in flashbacks how he gets to the point where he's grooming this uh, this red daughter, this copy of Supergirl. So what did you think about all of that? It's just uh, completely brilliant. So the, the first thing that I'll say is, like you say, there are so many within this very episode, things that you see at the beginning that are sort of referred to or called back to. So, you know, the first thing we see is him on trial, right? And the two people that are witnesses against him are Lena and James. And Lena says, you know, she didn't want a part, he didn't want a partner. He wanted a sycophant. And James says, you know, he offered Superman a place uh, in LexCorp, but Superman turned him down. He didn't want a partner. He wanted a pet Kryptonian. And then you put those two things together, like what is Red Daughter? A sycophant, because she's sort of following all the things that he says, and a pet Kryptonian. And then at the end, when she stands up to him, she goes, you know, I'm not your pet. I'm not a soldier for you. Like, I'm my own person. So you hear the type of person that he wanted at that trial you hear her kind of come out of that and sort of be, try to become her own person. And yet then he kills Mikhail, in theory. Um, you know, Oda saves him, of course. But um, And that is the tipping point, that all of a sudden she's like, I can't be like Supergirl and be emotional. You know, I will follow you because I see now that you know the right 
uh, way to the right path to go. So that's one arc. But then even within it, all of the smaller things, like the fact that he kind of like um, syndrome in the Incredibles, right? He says in the middle of it, I'm going to set up this, uh, this political war between Kaznia and America. There's going to be, I'm going to goad Kaznia into attacking America and then I'm going to save America. And then I'll be looked upon as the hero. And the things that I need to do that are as follows, right? I need patsies on both sides. I need a Ben Lockwood type person to be set up. Oh, I'll set up Ben Lockwood, right? I need to put, right? I need to push America into, you know, a confrontation with Kaznia and I need Kaznia to lash back and then I'm going to come in. And so all of these, you know, things that has happened over the course of this whole season, we see play out as something that Lex has set up, uh, which just sort of blew my mind. There were so many callbacks to prior episodes, things that we saw in prior episodes that we see again here that all sort of tie this into like one big Lex Luthor bow that I was not expecting so much um, to have been moves that he was making on the chessboard. Yeah, I was uh, trying to fight uh, admitting that maybe this was a good way to tie in the rest of the season because I've been kind of frustrated with the uh, Agent Liberty, Children of Liberty stuff. And so when I was like, oh, I guess that justifies the first half of the season. Okay, (laughs) fine. If that's the way they're going to go with it. You know, I'm very reluctantly uh, admitting that maybe all of that was worth it. I don't know. (laughs) So I'm trying to uh, deal with that within myself. Uh, So it's a it's a personal thing I'm dealing with. Uh, But yeah, so it was. Pretty cool that they were able to figure out a way to make the first half of the season play into this Red Daughter Lex Luthor thing, which I had when we first learned about Lex Luthor coming into the show, I was like, you know, it'd be really cool if Lex Luthor tied into Red Daughter because Lex Luthor and uh, Red Son Superman are uh, at odds in that story. And they're kind of the two main players in that uh, that big story that plays out in the comics. So I was glad that they were actually able to use some of that. And one of the things that I thought was really effective about the way that Lex got Red Daughter on his side was propaganda, basically, which is very much how they do it in uh, Superman Red Sun. There's a lot of propaganda in that book and the visuals and uh, the way that uh, unfortunately, Superman Red Sun uses propaganda. And I guess even to a certain degree, Lex Luthor and the Americans do it as well. Um, but I thought that that was a, a, a thematic way to use elements from the comic to em- employ here in this episode, the, the way that Lex tells Red Daughter about her history, about where she comes from. And then there's that great image of the Supergirl as shield in in Red Daughter's eye. And I thought that that was really, really cool and very effective for me to, to see that he is using these visuals and this information to uh, form a narrative about Supergirl. And even the, the trip that they take to America where they uh, uh, experience the bar situation and she meets those uh, Amer- Ameritech guys and kind of learns the way of how some Americans live and then she goes to see what Cara Danvers apartment looks like and I don't know how Lex knows Cara Danvers is Supergirl. I don't know how he obtained a key to her apartment and knew where she lives. 
I guess we'll never know. Uh, But that I thought was all very effective on Lex's part, that he was crafting a narrative about Supergirl and planting it in Red Daughter's mind to make her think something. And that's essentially what propaganda is. And so I thought that that was kind of a neat, uh, I guess, an Easter egg to that uh, story. So I thought that that was actually a really cool way to uh, intermingle Lex Luthor and Red Daughter. And the story of Superman Red Son. Yeah, I mean, it, it gets me that, um, you know, he is playing up the fact that he thinks the Kasnian way of life is the right way of life, uh, even though he is a high roller in America, right? So he keeps saying, oh, America is this soft, cushy, decadent place, not like our beloved homeland. And she calls him on it once, basically saying, like, you have money. And he's like, oh, I'm just using the enemy's weapon against them. But the thing that gets me about that propaganda scene where he, like, puts her in that silo and is just, like, showing her, you know, like, this is the main weapon you're going to be fighting a Supergirl, right? She has to go there because... um, Mercy and Otis, at the beginning of this season, weaponized kryptonite, put it into the atmosphere, right? So this is the first time, right? But really, who are Otis and Mercy working for? They're working for Lex. So he had to say... I need to put her in something to sort of like drill all of these images into her head. And how am I going to do that? Oh, I know. I'll make it look like America is attacking her by putting kryptonite in the air. And she has to go there for her own well-being. But really, he's the one that did it. Really like hardcore cunning by him thinking moves ahead. And I loved the fact that he pierced her ears when that happened, right? Because it's like, how else would you pierce her ear if she's invulnerable? Like he needed her <laughs> to be weak, right, at some point to be able to do that, to make her be a stand-in. Um so just really brilliant. Uh, like his everything, every move that he makes, it's kind of like, you know, like a Luther being a few steps ahead of everybody else on the chessboard. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, uh, and chess was a big part of this episode. And chess is a big part of Superman Red Sun. Uh, Lex uh, and, and Superman, the Superman Red Sun in that story play a lot of chess. Um, and that becomes a big thematic element for them. And uh, there was a lot of talk from Lex. He he teaches the inmates how to play chess. <laughs> he says he likes mentoring, which I think is really funny because he does have two, I guess, sidekicks that he, he sort of mentors. And then he mentors Red Daughter. And he talks about when he was a boy, he learned chess from a grandmaster named Anatoly Karpov, who was actually an official world chess champion from 1975 to 1985. And that's how he learns Russian. And um, there's, there's a bunch of chess moves that he walks by some some inmate cells and and tells them how to beat the opponent um and so i thought that that was really cool because we have heard of luther's playing chess before on the show and we were told that lena is better at chess than lex so i don't know that we've seen that thus far but it is a, a neat way to look at what he's doing as playing chess he is uh, a bunch of steps ahead of everyone else in this in this game of chess that he's playing with the world. And I did think it was interesting with Red Daughter, we were talking about um, sort of propaganda and, and Lex getting her to um, try to hate America and see Kaznia as better. And that's why she needs to uh, uh, represent Kaznia against America and Supergirl. But at one point when Red Daughter goes over there, when she takes that <laughs> that road trip or, uh, you know, that vacation to America, she says, America is unsavory, but I'm not so sure it's as bad as Alex thinks. So at, at one point she did uh, find America to be something that 
uh, was going against what she was being told. And I think that had a lot to do with visiting Kara's apartment and sort of experiencing her life a little bit. She reads her journal and she puts her, it was kind of creepy a little bit. She like puts her glasses on and her sweater on and she tries to pose as Kara when she goes to interact with Lena at L Corp. But I think experiencing that and seeing and, and uh, meeting the other Alex in the story. She has an encounter with Alex Danvers at the apartment. So I think there's something to be said about propaganda versus the reality of things. So I thought that that was an interesting way to go about it. Yeah, I would say, especially, you know, she now is seeing that world, as you say, through Kara's eyes by seeing that, you know, she paints and she reads that journal. And I, especially that brief interaction with Alex, I thought was great because she meets... Alex and Alex is like, oh, I was here to water your plants for you because you're gone, but you need your rest. Go on vacation. Look, I miss you and I love you, but you know, you deserve to go to Smallville. I, I can take <laughs> care of everything here. Like the most sappy, sisterly, lovey one minute you could possibly get, right? Like, I'm here to water your plants. I'm so happy to see you, but you need your rest. I love you. You should go on vacation. Like, it's, you know, that's like true support as opposed to what she's sort of experiencing with this other Lex who's trying to tell her that. You know, this is vapid, profligate people in America. You know, uh, they're horrible people. Uh, look at how much food she has in her refrigerator, right? You know, think about how people in Kaznia are starving. So, um, so I thought that that was a great scene. Uh, that brief scene with uh, Kyler Lee, I thought was great. Yeah, I think that's such a good point. She interacts with someone who considers Kara her family, and I think that's something you know we we see uh, Red Daughter, this Kaznia and Kara. Uh, I think she wants that. I think that's why she clings to who she thinks is Alex, um, because that's that's a relationship that she develops with him. And I, I thought it was interesting that they sort of they played up the sibling relationships within this story. You have uh, Al, uh, I keep wanting to call him Alex, but Lex Luthor, uh, Lex Luthor and Red Daughter uh, sort of form almost a sibling dynamic because he he sees her a li- like she reminds him of Lena and then you have Alex Danvers interacting with Red Daughter and thinking that she is actually her sister Cara Danvers so i thought that that was an interesting way to flip the tables a little bit in terms of the the dynamics and uh, i th- i think it's it's something to to think about for me that when Red Daughter does go and experience interacting with Alex Danvers and going to the apartment and interacting with Lena and seeing that Lena was Kara's friend, she uh, sees Supergirl in a different light. And of course, that changes by the end because of what happens, what she thinks happens uh, with Mikhail. But uh, she she recognizes that Kara Danvers just wants to do good. She has compassion. She's got friends. One of them is Lena, who is the sister of, of her Alex that she uh, starts to, I guess, have negative feelings about because of the way Lex talks about Lena. Uh, but then she goes and she sees that everything is different from what she's been told. So uh, I, I liked getting to see how uh, Red Daughter interacted in America, especially. It was it was neat to see her in Kaznia, but I, I thought it was uh, sort of a fish out of water getting to see reality for what it was um, in, in America and how she fit in there. Yeah. You know, I think, uh, we probably have, uh, some similar opinions about how, um, 
you know, the topical storylines. I like that you said topical. That makes me happy. Yes, that sometimes they can be, you know, written with very broad strokes and written with extremes. And so, you know, here is, uh, you know, the Red Daughter who has been told one extreme version of America actually sees a little bit of it that makes her think that that's this true vision, right? She runs into these dude bros drinking expensive (laughs) scotch and and treating her kind of like, you know, like a piece of meat at this bar. Um, And that could, you know, um, reinforce everything that she hears. But then she sort of sees this other side of America that's very caring and loving. And uh, and so uh, I think that that's where it's like propaganda to do one thing, but then sort of open up your eyes and take a look. And maybe reality is a little bit different. Yeah, I think that's uh, such a good point, especially about how the topical storylines have been written this season. Uh, my issue is that it has been really on the nose. It's sort of right by the numbers <laughs> kind of uh, the the formula has been very right by the numbers. And uh, what I think uh, your point is, is uh, pointing out is that the use of the uh, the propaganda narrative and the experience of America versus Kaznia, that that's more of a metaphor. You could you could talk a whole. I mean, we don't have uh, all night to talk about it, but we could talk about a lot of things uh, regarding you know uh, experiencing a different culture and not seeing you know uh, not judging people before you meet them and not judging another culture before you meet them. You know those kinds of things, and you can talk about that through what Red Daughter is experiencing, and it's not so on the nose. It's not so in your face. And so I think this kind of writing I do prefer because it allows you to experience those kinds of big ideas and those big questions through what a character is going through. And I think for me, that was what was missing in the first half of the season because it was almost, I guess, too much of what we're seeing in real life. And so this this allowed me to go in through uh, through what Red Daughter was experiencing, and, and I, could, I could go with her on this journey. And I think that's what this episode did so well is that it actually – showed us from the minute she shows up in Kaznia to her putting on the the Red Daughter super suit. And I think it did a really good job of getting her there. I feel like we spent a lot of time with her. We got to know her pretty well. And uh, I, I think that they... They wrote it in a in a way that everything made sense. Her character journey made sense. And I, I didn't feel like uh, that they rushed it. I, I felt like they, they kind of got her where she needed to be in a good amount of time and, and with a lot of character development. I don't know if you felt the same way, uh, especially since we had only gotten pieces of her uh, throughout the first half of the season. Do you, do you feel like uh, you wanted more from Red Daughter in the first half? Or, or do you think these, these last two episodes have uh, been enough to, to get us there? No, I think that it was the perfect amount of tease before this episode, because when we saw pieces, everything that we've seen of her in prior episodes, we see again here, except now we see how like, Five seconds later, Lex is there. And so when we see all of this stuff early in the season, it's like, oh, she's being trained by the Kaznian, you know, army and they put her in a lead silo and, you know, oh, her, she got a nosebleed for some reason. And now when we see those again, it's like, oh, and there is Lex to try to help sort of figure everything out. So there was it was almost um eye-opening for me to sort of say, like, I had no idea that Lex was there when 
they weaponized kryptonite into the air. I had no idea that Lex was there when they had to figure out why she got a nosebleed and was dying. And so now you see all of those episodes. Like, now I want to go back and watch all of those episodes again and say, oh, now I'm sort of seeing, right? Now I know what the payoff will be when we see these little snippets. And I do think that... um, you know, we've said from the very beginning and even this discussion that she has a whole arc here that is very well done, that um, that I think that um, that this episode gave her that storyline and gave us enough to sort of see all of these different parts of her um, her arc. Yeah, I, I did enjoy getting to see the flashbacks to previous episodes and and getting to the point, like you said, like. Lex was there. We just didn't see him. So that is kind of neat. The only thing I was upset about was that we still don't know why she was punching those walls. Uh, that's that's something I wanted answers to. Why is she why is she just punching, punching, punching? Uh, but uh, maybe that was part of her training just to figure out her super strength. I don't know. Uh, so I don't know if she's digging a hole somewhere. Uh, I I don't know. Uh, unanswered questions. <laughs> Still, I have to um, I have to piece together the timeline better because remember she's discovered nine months ago. They don't call Lex in until six months ago, and I feel like those three months where they're doing stuff with her, it's like buffoonery, right? They they give her like a dinosaur book uh, and they seem like the type of people that would have her punch a mountain right and <laughs> he's the guy that's giving her you know the fall and decline of the roman empire and you know uh Fried- friedrich nietzsche's thus spoke zarathustra right so um so he's um he's doing um, a much better version of getting her where she needs to be than they did so i don't know where the mountain punching was but my sense <laughs> is it's when they're when they're taking care of her and not when he is that's a great explanation that's going to be my new head cannon or hat cannon, as uh, one of our listeners, uh, I think uh, <laughs> uh, Doug maybe on Twitter uh, suggested that uh, because we do love the hat on Supergirl Radio. So maybe um, maybe we should just call it hat cannon from now on. Uh, so I'm go- that's going to be my personal hat cannon. Uh, so thank you for that explanation. I'll go with that. I really like that. Um, and since you mentioned that little book that she was reading, that little dinosaur book, just uh, in case nobody saw it on Twitter, Eric Carrasco, who was uh, one of the writers of this episode, said that that was actually a Russian version of the runaway dinosaur from The Flash. If, if uh, you watch The Flash as well, uh, there is a book in that series called The Runaway Dinosaur. So this was the Russian version of that. So it's a neat little Easter egg to The Flash um, and tying into the Arrow or Flareoverse, if you will. So uh, that that was a cool nod to that. But yeah, so I, I do think that maybe you're right that uh, the Kaznian soldiers maybe used her to build things. Maybe they didn't know what to do. So they just said, hey, go, go punch some walls. Uh, we've got other things to do. And uh, <laughs> Lex actually came in and brought her some substance and actually trained her not so much physically they did do some strength strength tests and things like that but i think lex especially because he is such a an intelligent character and a lot of his uh abilities as as i guess you would say even though he exhibited some superpower abilities and i guess we could talk about that a little bit uh, but really, Lex Luthor is a character who is, his biggest strength, his his greatest strength is his mind. And so I think that's very character correct for him to come in and <laughs> give her a reading list 
and to get her to really study all of those books um, and and learn about uh, the you know the Russian culture or even American culture with the Great Gatsby that she really takes to. Um, so I do think that that is a a stellar point about uh, Lex and how he trains her. Um, and so I guess we could briefly, since we're still kind of talking about Lex. Uh, so what did you what What are your thoughts on superpowered Lex? Yeah, you know I think it's hard because. Um, we assume that he got the superpowers because he took the Harmonel formula. But I thought the whole point about the last episode was that the giving superpowers was the lethal portion of this formula. Um, and so I don't know how he got them unless somehow he made a different version of the formula than the one that she used to cure James. Now, there is... Um, lots of storylines in the comics where he gets superpowers and you know in all-star superman he gives himself superpowers by injecting himself with uh with a drug that superman had made to give lois superpowers and so i was like maybe it's an easter egg um i loved the fact that he bashed her with the daily planet globe because <laughs> we're so used to seeing superman and supergirl like save the daily planet globe by right. not letting it get destroyed and here he was like purposefully destroying it so it's like a reverse easter egg um but I hope they don't give him powers unless it is to then he now gets real cancer because he gave himself that. Yeah, uh, it was it was actually since you mentioned it, uh, it was good to actually even see the connection to the storyline of him having cancer and giving himself cancer willing willingly because he knew that's how Lena would work with him. But yeah, the uh, Daily Planet Globe, I was really upset about it because I love the Daily Planet. And they were up there just uh, wrecking the Daily Planet. It was very upsetting to me. Uh, so I hope Supergirl does her her part in repairing that. Uh, that would be something I would uh, personally like to see. I just need, you know, one line. Hey, I fixed the Daily Planet globe. That would, that would satisfy me because I would hate for the Daily Planet to be uh, not, with you know, without a globe. Um Although I did think the the line that uh, Lex says was a little cheesy. He said, "You had a good run, but this time the planet hits back." And I was like, "Okay, that's that's a little too <laughs> that's a little too much, guys. <laughs> a little too much." Um, but I get they were doing a you know a double meaning behind that, so I at least got to respect the effort, even though it was a little <laughs> it was a little cheesy. Um, but yeah, so I I did think that was cool though. We got to see a lot of the Lex Lexo suit in action in this episode. We got to see Lex flying. I think it's pretty cool that Lex's watch. Is has so many different functions. He can, you know, shoot shoot things out of it. He can use it to get the Lexo suit to activate. So his his watch is pretty awesome. I don't know, uh, App, and you know, Apple needs to pay attention to that. It's got it's got a lot of functionality. <laughs> maybe maybe they could incorporate that into flying suits for for us in the in this real world of ours. Uh, that would be pretty awesome. But the Lexo suit I thought was pretty cool. Especially there's that one scene at the end when he's on the battleship that it's very much like Marvel Iron Man, right? Like. It kind of like self-collapses around him. Uh, I thought that was pretty slick. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, so, and to see Lex in the Lexo suit, we've seen Lillian in it before, but it was it was awesome to see Lex actually in the Lexo suit. Uh, so that was awesome. Um, well, since we we're kind of talking about it, were there any other Easter eggs in this episode that you wanted to uh, bring up? I hope that we have a long time. Because <laughs> there, was, there was like a ton. So I'll start with the one that like made my eyeball explode. Like to see um, Melissa Benoist in a brunette wig and calling herself Linda Lee was yeah. was just 
an inspiring moment. It was just like so perfect that, <laughs> that it, it was it was fantastic because, you know, you say to yourself, you just don't, you know, that's like a callback to Silver Age Supergirl that you would not expect to see in this show. And yet they went there. Right. You know, cheesy brunette wig, clearly a wig calling herself Linda Lee. I just thought that that was uh, phenomenal. So that was my favorite um my my favorite Easter egg, but there are many more that I could go over. Do you just want me to start listing them off? Sure, go for it. So, like at the beginning, right in the in the um, in the courtroom, when James says, "You know, super, uh, Lex offered Superman a position in LexCorp," that is how the two of them met in the John Byrne Man of Steel miniseries, where like Lex actually tries to hire Superman, like, "Oh, why don't you like join my company?" And Superman's like, "No way!" Right? So I was like, <laughs> "Oh, that's a nice little callback." You know, in the courtroom, in theory, he's writing. And Kryptonian, um, all work and no play make Jack a dull boy. Um, uh, thank you, Eric Carrasco, for letting us know what he's supposed to be writing in Kryptonese. Yes, thank you for that because I was really frustrated because there were some alphabet characters in there that I did not recognize. I don't know. If, I don't know if you tried to. I tried. <laughs> I, I tried. I, I had like maybe one or two letters, and I was like, I give up. I quit. I don't know what this is. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I was glad to glad to have that confirmation of what that was actually saying. Yeah, and of course, that's what Jack Nicholson writes over and over and over in The Shining. And so one of the things that I liked about this was that you see snippets of, of things that remind you of other pop culture things that show you just how evil Lex Luthor is. So, right, him writing that is like, oh, my gosh, it's like Jack Nicholson in The Shining. That's, like, pretty scary. And just to add to that, that that is actually a proverb that has that was recorded as early as 1659, the year 1659. So it goes back a long way. And it's uh, it's generally thought to be something that is associated with boredom. So I thought it was interesting that um, uh, that he writes that while he's in the courtroom because he's he's bored. He he knows he's going to get out of this because he's basically uh, he knows what he, he's planned to do, that he's going to murder the judge and the jury. So he really doesn't have to pay attention because he's just going to do what he's going to do. He's got a plan for everything. So he's just bored. It looks like he's taking notes about the case, but he's actually writing in Kryptonese out of boredom. So I thought that that was uh, a little interesting tidbit. Um, I know this is your wheelhouse. Did you think him killing everybody was an Easter egg about Batman versus Superman and the courtroom scene there? Yes, that uh, immediately popped to mind. Uh, just the uh, the the moment that uh, the the judge starts to cough a little bit, it, it, uh, it made me feel like uh, Senator Finch in that movie in Batman v Superman, where she she knows something is not right, and there's a there's a good tension there right before it happens. Uh, so it it was it. It reminded me of two things, Batman v Superman and also uh, the Joker in The Dark Knight Returns when he murders everyone. He's at a talk show and he's there as a guest in the talk show and he he uh, murders everybody in the room. Uh, yeah, so yeah. so I, I thought that that was um, – I, I kind of don't like – I know why they do this on Supergirl, but sometimes they have really tense moments or really violent moments. The fact that he murders all those people in the room is uh, extraordinarily violent like it's it's terrible what he's done and they they set it to you know frank sinatra's my way and it, it's quirky and everything but it's sort of to me it, it's writing that line of glamorizing what he's done you know frank sinatra was you know the chairman of the board old blue eyes he was like this cool cat who sang all these you know hip songs back in the day and 
the fact that that song is used to underscore what he's what he's done that was a little uncomfortable for me i i, I know why they do it because they they want to lighten it up a little bit but i i think for me it almost does the reverse that it um that it makes light of what he's done so yeah. uh so i kind of i see it both ways uh but yeah it did remind me of lex and bbs which i will admit made me very happy <laughs> And then just a, two more things that I want to say about uh, Lex as villainy. So he carves that whole Hannibal bringing the elephants over the mountains on the wall. And there's a shot of him standing in front of it, which is very similar to the Kingpin character in the Netflix Daredevil uh, show. I don't know if you've seen that, but he's always standing in front of this like white painting that uh, that he always contemplates. So there was definitely like a Kingpin vibe there. And then later on, with all of that talk about Alexander the Great, there was definitely like an Ozymandias from Watchmen vibe going on there. And so all of these things kind of put together um, from a comic book point of view, there was a feeling in pop culture like, oh, he's like a crazy, malicious, mass murdering villain, right? You know, he's got Kingpin and uh, Ozymandias uh, um, all in one. Yeah, the Alexander the Great uh, stuff with Lex, I go back to Smallville because I'm pretty sure Smallville did a lot of that with Michael Rosenbaum's Lex Luthor. So uh, I, I like the the tie-in to Alexander the Great uh, for his character. And, and the, the painting I, or the carving, I guess it really is, it sort of looks like a painting, but he's actually carving it into the wall. Um, he's doing it out of boredom. So again, Lex Luthor, this great mind, this super intelligent being is so bored by every everyday things that are happening around him because he's not his mind is not stimulated. So he 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 takes what I would be so difficult for for anyone else and he makes this extravagant carving and uh it it's just really impressive and he does it out of, he's just bored. So hey, I'm just going <laughs> to carve this this amazing uh, uh, piece of artwork, and he he says, "Oh, it's just geometry." And I I just kept thinking, I'm not that good at math to be able to carve something like that. <laughs> just you know, saying it's just geometry is is a little uh, uh, over my head, I guess you could say. Um, uh, one thing that I thought was maybe an Easter egg was that one of the Kaznian soldiers, the soldier who uh, makes Red Daughter uh, nervous or uncomfortable, he's he's they tell they uh, uh, Lex and uh, Miss Tessmacher and Otis uh, suggest that maybe the uh, Minister of Defense, the Kasnian Minister of Defense, uh, put him down. I guess you could say um, he is shot and killed uh, because Red Daughter doesn't like him. And that guy's name is Piotr, which I think is the Russian version of Peter. Yeah, uh, as far as I understand, and that um, I remembered very distinctly from Superman Red Sun because uh, Piotr, there's a character named uh, Piotr in um, that story, and I don't, I don't know. I need to do some digging. I don't know if that's the actual name of one of the sons of Stalin, but in that story, he is the son of Stalin, and he feels like he's in competition with Superman. He's also the murderer of the Waynes in that version of the universe, and there's a scene in that story where he even tries to commit suicide by gun but uh superman catches the bull bullet and stops him from doing it so i just thought that that was um uh, an easter egg from superman red said red sun that they would pick that name and have a situation where he's in the woods uh you know possibly being killed because that that's sort of 
what's happening a little bit in that story. So that's the the Easter egg I came away with. Yeah, I haven't read Red Sun in a while, so I'm going to have to go back. Personally, for me, uh, for my two cents, I, I think it's one of the greatest Superman stories ever written, even though it's not really about the Superman we know. Uh, but it is a version of Superman, and it has a lot of interesting things to say about the world and about uh, Superman and Lex Luthor. So, yeah, I, uh, I I kind of now, having noticed that Easter egg, kind of makes me want to reread it again, even though I reread it a couple of months ago. Huh. Uh, but uh, so, yeah, I thought that that was really, really cool. And I'm with you, the Linda Lee Easter egg, one of the best parts of the episode, uh, very unexpected. Um, so that was very, very cool. All right. Um, so we got an email. Normally, I would save this for feedback, but it ties into one of the segments that we normally have on Supergirl Radio. And now, Lena Luther, boardroom or ballroom? Abby writes in uh, saying, quote, dare I ask, but is Lena's blue elevator skirt and shirt the same from last season's two second clip of Gara's farewell? Good luck on assignment party at CatCo. Um, And so uh, just to answer your question, Abby, uh, I don't think so. Went back and looked at the episode Not Kansas from season three with a uh, with uh, Lena and Kara at CatCo. And it looks like she has. Uh, like a blue dress. It's not necessarily a skirt. It's a blue dress with like a black belt. And that's not what she's wearing in this week's episode of Supergirl. So I think it's a little different. And I think Lena Luther, I'm just reading into this, but she might be offended that you would think that she would wear the same outfit twice. I think, uh, you know, Lena Luther would never do that. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so I think hopefully that answers your question. And she also, Abby also asked, what's your favorite Lena outfit in this episode? Uh, that is an excellent question. Um, for me, I would guess, I, I think I would say the one she has on in the elevator. I liked the, the kind of the shininess of her top because I wasn't really crazy uh, about uh, the scene with her and hologram Lex, her her blouse that she has on there. I don't know. I don't know why they have Lena Luther wearing a lot of floral, <laughs> floral things. That, that's not kind of what I would associate with the Luther, but uh, she's wearing some sort of floral uh, blouse in that scene with Lex. Uh, so I thought that was a, a really strange choice. So I would probably say the outfit she has on in the elevator that would be my choice. I don't know, Ange. Do you have any thoughts about Lena Luther's wardrobe in this episode? Uh, definitely the vertical striped shirt while she's testifying against Lex. Oh, good choice. A nice melange of rust and black that I think works well. (laughs) (laughs) Nice choice. Nice choice. Uh, So those are our favorite uh, Lena Luther outfits of the episode. But Ange, you you pitched a a new variation of Lena Luther boardroom or ballroom that I thought would be fun to discuss in this episode uh, because we got a lot of Miss Tessmacher. We got a lot of her in this episode. So uh, Ange pitched uh, a segment called... Called Miss Tessmacher Villainy or Vanity, which I thought was a great idea. So, Ange, uh, do you have any thoughts about Miss Tessmacher and her uh, wardrobe choices in this episode? Probably too many thoughts. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I'll tell you, um, uh, there are a couple of outfits that really stand out. So the the one where she um, is visiting Lex and like his conjugal prison cell, which is so creepy (laughs) um she's wearing like this fuzzy sort of lilac sweater and a green pencil skirt and i'm sitting there and i'm going like she went all out because you know lex loves that purple and green color scheme 
and she was going for it, albeit the pastel version. So, uh, so uh, I thought that that was definitely um, a little bit of villainy because I think that she was sort of uh, she wanted to sort of entice him. And I have to say, um, one of the things that I loved about this was back when she gets hired to be Cat Grant's assistant, we're like, why is somebody with a physics degree from Yale like working <laughs> as a gopher? Yeah. And now we know it's like the whole thing about this episode is that it goes, it does this deep dive to explain things. So, so I thought that was great. Um, and then I like, um, it was, we saw it at the end of last episode and we saw it at the very, very end of this episode. I kind of call it like, um, her, her ninja ballroom outfit, right? She's wearing like a black pencil skirt, a black blouse, black leather gloves as she's like shooting uh, a military person <laughs> and tying Lena up. So that's like her ninja outfit. So that definitely is like a mix of villainy and vanity. Yeah, I think that's a great point about her purple and green attire because Miss Tessmacher, she's got a thing for this Lex Luthor. She uh, she has a bit of a crush on this guy, and he he doesn't want to give her the time of day, unfortunately. Um, but she is I, – I would venture to say she's a little obsessed with him. Uh, she's been sending him letters, and she's out there during his perp walk out of the courtroom, very excited to see him when everybody else is like, oh, my gosh, this dude is a maniac. And she seems to be, uh, you know, like a big fangirl out there. So she uh, she is putting uh, – you know, pulling out all the stops for Lex Luthor when she goes to visit him. So I think that's a great point. Um, I, I did notice that there were a lot of times where she was wearing sort of, uh, you know, almost pink, you know, pastel kind of things. Even her her big winter coat, she had a sweat, you know, a, a pink or purple sweater underneath. Um, and I, I really liked her dress that she had on in that elevator scene with uh, Kazni and Kara or Red Daughter. Um, at first, I thought it was a black dress, but I think it's actually a really dark purple. So I thought that that was very fitting for a uh, Luther sidekick for her to wear purple. So um, I, I, she got a lot of wardrobe changes in this episode for sure. And it was nice to see more of her and her dynamic with Lex as well. Yeah, even a sailor outfit as she tries to entice the captain of the battleship, right? <laughs> a sailor. So, uh, so yeah, she gets she um, she definitely uh, I think was sort of like a star of this episode given her reaction to everything. Yeah, I'm so glad to see more of uh, Miss Desmucker and and, <laughs> and Andrea Brooks is uh, she's she's doing a great job in uh, making that really convincing. So uh, I'm excited to see more of her. So thank you for pitching. Uh, this new segment of ours, maybe maybe we'll continue it if we get some more uh, Eve Tessmacher on the show. Hopefully we will. Uh, so maybe we can uh, use that as an addition to Lena Luther boardroom or ballroom. And this has been Lena Luther boardroom or ballroom. All right, Ange, so we've kind of talked about as much as we can. Uh, so what are your uh, your overall thoughts about this episode, The House of L? And if there's anything that we left out, uh, this is this is your, your time to, to bring it up. No, I will say that this, I think, was probably my favorite episode of the season because I think we are now seeing all of these dominoes that Lex put into place. And I really have to commend the writer's um, for this tight timeline and putting in things that just now make sense um, uh, to sort of uh, make it sort of so smooth. Even the visit uh, of Russian Kara, uh, Red Daughter, to Kara's apartment, um, you know, Alex says, like, I thought you were on vacation in Smallville. 
which is where she was during the Elseworlds crossover, right? Uh, so you yeah. can sort of like you can stick that scene right into those episodes. So I was just sort of impressed with the whole thing. Um, it does make me a little bit upset that you know Lillian knows that Kara is Supergirl, Lex knows that Kara is Supergirl. Somehow Lena can't figure it all out unless <laughs> she's knowing and just playing coy. But um, I just have to say, great episode overall. Yeah, no, it is definitely frustrating about the the Lena and the, the secret, because if she's supposed to be better than Lexa Chess, I would think that she would be able to figure these things out. Uh, so I can understand that frustration. Yeah, I, uh, I have been giving the writers quite the hard time this season, uh, but I think they have done a really good job with these last two episodes, making all of that work, the timeline, um, and making all of the, the first half of the season pay off uh, with what they're doing with Lex's overall plan. And I'm glad to see that Lex and Red Daughter uh, have a, a relationship being formed uh, that resembles, at least in some part, Superman, Red Sun. So they're adapting it in, in their own way, which I think is good. Um, so I did really enjoy this episode, even though, like I said earlier, the, the time jumps, even though it was cool to see how everything connected, it was when you're watching it, it's really hard to keep up with it. Like when I, when I was making my notes, I could kind of go through it and, you know, uh, notate how everything fit together and when everything happened. But when I was watching the episode, I was like, oh, my gosh, stop it. I can't keep up with this while I'm watching it. It's too much. It's too much. Uh, you know, it's one thing if you jump around maybe two or three times, but it was it was so much. <laughs> So I would not recommend uh, that much in future episodes. But uh, once you kind of nail the timeline down, it does make sense. And I liked how they started uh, further back in time and then they brought us to the present day. I thought that that was really well done. Uh, and I'm very curious about what's going to happen from now on because twice Lex in this episode tells Red Daughter, he says once, he says, someday you may have to match Supergirl. And then another time he says, one day you may have to be just like her. So that makes me think that uh, like we saw in this episode, her sort of uh, I guess not single white female in Kara, but kind of close. Like she was kind of taking over her life, at least a little bit for a small period of time at L Corp. Um, but I am starting to wonder now if we're going to see that become a bigger thing that she's going to do, if she's going to possibly take over Kara's life and uh, insert herself into that and make people think she is Kara. I, I Just the, the fact that they reiterated that um, twice made me think that that was something that I needed to pay attention to. Um, so I'm very curious about what they will do in the future. But overall, I thought this was a great episode. And one of the things I liked about it, and this is also one of the things I liked about uh, an earlier episode in the season, rather The Fallen Angel, is that it had a lot of substance to it. It wasn't... Um, uh, it wasn't just a straightforward kind of story. It had things you could dig into if you wanted to talk about themes, if you wanted to look into the books that she was given um, and, and really dig into the art, the discussion of history. Uh, it, that, I, I enjoy stories like that where I can dig into that and, and get more out of it that way. So this, this was an episode that I would really like to dig into more. And I, I don't know, I'm kind of thinking about a way that we could turn something from this episode into maybe a summer hiatus episode of Supergirl Radio. Uh, things, 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 are, uh, things are happening in my brain. We'll 
we'll see if it uh, comes to pass. And maybe we could dig into the the books and what they mean for Red Daughter and her story. Uh, so that really excites me to see um, see episodes being written like that because that's the kind of stuff that I really like. So I'm not saying that the Supergirl writers have to write every, every episode to make me happy, but <laughs> it was it, it was nice that uh, I felt like they were really trying to be creative and trying to write something with a lot of weight and substance to it. So I really appreciated that. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for our discussion of The House of L. So let's uh, dig into what our listeners had to say about this week's episode. So we're going to start off with at Fractal Inverter, uh, who says, oh, OMG, can we please get Melissa Benoist Rara, which I think is how some people are referring to uh, Red Daughter, with Spikes throwing Lex out of the L Court building. Since she is a weird copy with Harrenel, they could totally go down the protoplasmic path and give us Matrix, Matrix Earthborn Angel instead of letting her die. We all want Rara to live. So, I mean, it's possible. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen uh, at the end of Red Daughter's story, so... Who knows? That tweet is a definite callback to a Supergirl miniseries where she confronts Lex, Matrix Supergirl confronts Lex about all of his lies about her. The spike line is definitely something about a costume that that Supergirl wore in fighting him. Um, at Mark HBPWM says, which is uh, asks, which is more improbable? Eve teleports into the fire control room of a Navy ship. The Navy has a big bad wolf missile that blows down your house made of sticks but leaves no crater. Lex has a recurring hall pass from prison. Prison, or Lex knows Kara's secret while Lena doesn't. Uh, I uh, I thought that the Lex getting out of prison uh, multiple times was uh, very convenient for him, uh, but he seemed to have uh, a lot of things on the warden to get him to do that. So, uh, yeah, some of that is is a little hard to to believe, but I I guess I can go with it. Yeah, I mean. Almost all of that I can go with. Uh, well, at Patty Mello 20 says, I can't believe that this episode could have been the plot of the whole season. And what we got instead was that Children of Liberty stuff. Kazni and Kara is great. I wish we could have had more time with her. Melissa Benoist really made me fall in love with this character in one episode. At VH451 says, wow, the show just got its groove back. <laughs> really enjoying this story arc. Other thoughts. Number one, not a big fan of Otis, but his scene with Mikhail went a long way towards redeeming him. I did think that was cute as well. And uh, at VH451 says, uh, number two, Big Belly Burger is on Earth 38. Dang, that's some interdimensional marketing. Yeah, I think, Angie, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this is the first time they've referenced Big Belly Burger on Supergirl? I'm pretty sure. And I got to ask you a question about the Otis thing. Did you like when he said, I died once, you know? Because we've always thought, like, boy, did he die? Maybe Lex brought him back to life. I don't know. I am very curious about that because they really, they really uh, went by that very, very quickly. <laughs> they referenced it and then they moved on. And I was like, what? Wait, wait. <laughs> Could we get an explanation about that? Because number one, how did he not die? And number two, is is Mercy still alive? Because that's Correct. that's that's uh, that's my thing. Where is Mercy? Why would you let Mercy die but save Otis? That's my big question. Why would you do that? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I thought that that was... Uh, I was glad to see that they remembered that that happened, but they also didn't explain it at all. So uh, hopefully we'll get more information on that. Yeah. Uh, at HaddasB05LaLaLa said, Great episode. Finally, the show uses the talent of Melissa Benoist, who did an amazing job. I can't wait to see more from Red Daughter. I agree. Melissa Benoist is 
a fantastic actress, and I was glad to see her getting to stretch some of those acting muscles. At uh, Chris Fundalinski said, great episode. I wish the second half of the se- season started with this storyline. Melissa Benoist was fantastic. I'm anticipating a chat about Kryptonese and that multi-chess, uh, multi-person chess match with Lex. Also, do you think Eve knows Kara is Supergirl as well? And if so, did she tell Lena? Well, I, I hope you enjoyed our Kryptonese discussion. We kind of talked about our frustrations with the fact that it's non-translatable, uh, which uh, that has happened uh, a couple of times on Supergirl, where I've thrown my hands up in disgust because <laughs> I couldn't translate it. Uh, but they uh, at least explained it on Twitter, so that's good. Uh, uh, do we think Eve knows Kara is Supergirl as well? It's interesting to me because she recognizes immediately that Red Daughter in the elevator with Lena um, is uh, imitating Kara. So right. I think she does know. And I think that, you know, at the end of this episode, she puts a letter on Lena's desk, which I think is going to be um, Lex telling Lena, by the way, your best friend is really Supergirl. She's been lying to you. That's that's I think is next manipulation. Hmm. Yeah, he could he could play that card if he wanted to, especially if he wanted to turn Lena against Supergirl. Uh, yeah. That that could be a way to go about it. P- part of me. Uh, wants that to be a bigger reveal though i'm hoping that maybe it's not uh, just you know in a, a letter like car danvers is supergirl maybe maybe it's like a hint you know you know poking her to go investigate something more for a bigger reveal so i i think i'd be okay if like he gave her a little clue <laughs> and then she discovered it um so i to me that would be a little too easy for her for him to just write car danvers is supergirl Oh, love Lex, you know, <laughs> um, but but I think that's a, an interesting speculation. And you're absolutely right. Eve did approach Red Daughter as if she was imitating Cara Danvers. So you're right. I do think she knows. All right. Well, we answered that question. Great. Uh, so uh, at Electra WWF uh, asks, do you think Lex Luthor will somehow scheme his way into becoming president in the season finale cliffhanger? That's so interesting that you bring that up because when we first, uh, you'll have to go back and check the tapes, as they say. Uh, but I think when we first talked about Lex Luthor coming onto Supergirl on Supergirl Radio, I mentioned that I wondered if that could happen. I don't know uh, technically with what's going on in the government right now if he could do that. I guess if they throw President Baker out, uh, I, maybe they're going to have a new election sometime coming up. Maybe he'll run for president, but he's also been convicted of a lot of crimes. <laughs> so I don't know if people would vote for him. Uh, but considering the the way that the show deals with governmental issues and the branches of government, who knows? Anything is possible at this point. <laughs> so uh, that and you know what? It could happen. I'm sure they can make some way to justify it happening. Uh, but it. Who knows? We'll we'll see. Well, uh, at have underscore geek said John Cryer is killing it as Lex pun intended. Uh, Killing it as Lex. Yeah, I get it now. Okay. Um, (laughs) At Rob underscore Kroll said John Cryer is great as Lex and he has leveled this show up from this season from a 4 out of 10 to a 7.5 or 8 out of 10. I agree. I think uh, he has leveled the show up. It has been much more exciting since he has appeared on the show. Uh, I think he has, as one of the listener, the previous listeners said, uh, given the show its groove back. So I agree. 
well, at Omar Shah Joffrey said, well, I, for one, am glad Supergirl took on the U.S. Navy's inability to stop lone civilians from boarding its ships, knocking out the one guy in the weapons control room and firing a missile. When will Congress pass an executive <laughs> order to fix this? Great question. Uh, that, uh, But... As we've discussed, Congress cannot pass an executive order. So I appreciate the effort to try to trick me, but that's not going to happen because the executive branch is the only one capable of making an executive order. So let's get our facts straight on the branches of government. Uh, but I, I see your your uh, smiley face emoji there on the tweet. So I uh, recognize that was a joke. Uh, at Pretty Girl Ninja said, love this episode, but knowing that the Children of Liberty were uh, set up by Lex makes me disappointed that so much time was spent on them. Red Kara storyline should have started sooner. Uh, I think a lot of people feel like that. Um, at Mark1246 said, fantastic episode with Lex, a man who hates aliens but just keeps murdering humans left and right. The irony. I didn't catch it at all, but did the episode explain how Otis was even alive? Because it, sure it sure looked like Mercy is dead. Yeah, they definitely did not discuss it. And that's a good point about Lex, who uh, wants to save Earth and uh, be all about humans and humanity, but he is killing a lot of humans. Uh, so he's not really uh, walking the walk uh, as much as he is talking the talk. You know, I always love he makes these big speeches where he's like, you know, we are in an, uh, you know, this is an extinction level crisis that Superman is here. He's holding humans back. He's going to end up killing us. And then you look around Lex and there's just bodies. It's like, maybe you should take a step back. A little self-awareness might be key here because Superman's not doing anything to harm anybody. But uh, you sure enough are, Lex Luthor. So just maybe uh, reflect on yourself a little more. Um, and our last tweet comes from at SL Fricky, who said, fantastic episode. I wish this was a two-parter so we could see more Lex raising red daughter scenes and maybe Lex teaching her how to ride a bike, getting her a pet hamster and making sure she brushes her teeth, <laughs> etc. Yeah, they did play him up as uh, not only as kind of a, a sibling, but also a father. They tell the story of Alexander the Great and uh, Philip of uh, Macedon um, and the father-son dynamic. And so they translated that to uh, Lex being the father and Red Daughter being Alexander the Great. Um, so uh, I could see maybe taking that really big idea and turning it into making sure she brushes her teeth before bed. <laughs> I would be into that as well. And I just want to apologize to at SL Fricky um, for last week's Supergirl Radio episode because I kind of didn't understand what uh, at SL Fricky was talking about with Human for a Day. But uh, after I thought about it some more, um, his uh, tweet was about... Um, the four years ago in terms of the show and uh, Lex's red son um, may have happened during season one. And that could be the case. Uh, but I don't know if, you know, the timelines on the show, sometimes when they don't actually specifically say years, it's kind of hard to know where the, the timeline fits into where the red sun actually happened. Um, but it could be that the time of the red sun happened before the show even started, like pre-season one. So uh, that that is something I guess I wish I had more clarification on uh, in terms of the human for a day uh, connection to uh, uh, Red Sun. So I hope that makes sense. 
so cl- clarify it if it doesn't. Um, so thank you all for sending in your tweets. All right. Should we move on to emails? Let's do emails. All right. We received an email from Andreas, who is a longtime listener from Hamburg, Germany, and he wrote, Lex Luthor stepped right out of a Kurt Swan comic book. As a boy who grew up with mostly Silver Age comic books, this is the greatest compliment I can give to a fictional Superman character. I liked Red Daughter. The most important thing about a good antagonist is that you can relate to her and understand her point of view. And that is a big compliment. Kurt Swan drew Superman for like 40 years. Yeah, Kurt Swan. uh, Most Superman fans love Kurt Swan and respect his work. And so that is a huge compliment. Well, we have an email from Lynn who writes, quote, after seeing the Lex episodes, I have to admit that John Cryer is killing it as Lex. I love that he's playing a low-key Lex that's incredibly manipulating and a very sharp dresser. Props to his tailor. I love that Miss Tessmacher nod uh, to the original film, Lex using info on the warden's mother as leverage and the brief glimpse of the battlesuit. Also, I thought that even though it wasn't necessary to tell us why Lex knows how to speak Russian, the chess master was a great detail, as was each version of Supergirl having an Alex in their lives. These episodes have been the best written and acted in a long while for this show. The Red Daughter's reaction uh, to finding the shredded soccer ball and Otis protecting the Russian boy were both great scenes, unquote. Yeah, I think uh, it's uh, something to, you know, worth noting that Lex Luthor in <laughs> in Supergirl is a very sharp dresser. Uh, he's doing pretty well for a guy who's mostly in prison uh, <laughs> all the time. So he's uh, he's crushing it in the wardrobe department, <laughs> as, I, I, as I guess all Luthers do. Luthers uh, know how to dress. They, they clean up well. All right. We have an email from Jessica who writes, I'm already loving Kazni and Kara so much. I love that they show how smart she is and how quickly she learned things. I wish they would do that more with OG Kara. I'm kind of unsure how I want this arc to end, assuming we won't get to have two cars hanging around once this arc is over, because I don't want new Kara to get hurt or die or anything like that. But I hope that's a ways away, because I'm definitely enjoying it so much more than the first half of the season, and I would not be sad if the Children of Liberty all went to hang out with Jeremiah Danvers on the island of forgotten plots. <laughs> <laughs> so I have two theories about this. So one is that... Um, the Red Daughter sacrifices herself and kind of looks to Supergirl and says, like, I'm inspired by you. That's why I did this. Um, the other is that there is one storyline in the Bronze Age where a clone of Supergirl loses her powers and then says, I'm just going to live as a normal human on the other side of the country so nobody will sort of, like, get us confused. Mm. Uh, so it would be interesting if she moved back to Kaznia as a depowered person to try to inspire people there. I could be into both of those scenarios. Um, I think because... I- now that you mention it, I'm going to put another uh, speculation out there that maybe uh, with Mikhail, since she's formed a bond with him, maybe she, let's say she does get depowered and she goes back to Kaznia, maybe she, uh, I don't know, becomes part of Mikhail's family. I think that would be a cool mm. way to go uh, since she she does seem to care about him a lot. I really thought this, the scene where she thinks he's dead and she falls to her knees and screams out in grief. Uh, I thought that was a really powerful moment. I thought Melissa, Melissa did a really good job of that. And, and part of me uh, was like, well, 
that's what those uh, Kryptonians do when they lose somebody. They they fall fall to their knees and scream, you know, <laughs> loud screams uh, because they just, you know, they they value life so much. That happens in Man of Steel. That kind of happens in Super Superman the movie. Uh, even though he he doesn't really fall to his knees, he he screams and then flies up in the air uh, after Lois uh, dies that first time around. So that seemed pretty typical of Kryptonians. So I I think her her relationship with Mikhail is a really uh, cute and meaningful one for her, and so maybe maybe that could play into because he's he's alive now. Why would they keep him alive if the if his story was over? So yeah. uh, I think uh, those are some good speculations. I like them. Well, uh, Courtney sent us an email saying, "Quote." Oh, Kasni and Kara, my heart. I can't stand how Lex totally manipulated her. I don't fully understand how the Kasnian government has a direct line to Lex, though, but I guess if he was able to buy off the entire prison, he can get that. I like how all of the stories are adding up now, but I don't know if I can handle the rest of the season. But if they don't put Kasnia Kara back together with our car, what's going to happen? I hope she doesn't end up like Bizarro Supergirl stuck in Hat's hat, unquote. <laughs> yeah, I, I think uh, it's really interesting that a lot of people are writing in saying how much, you know, I, I guess everybody is really, pro- I mean, I sure am. Uh, everybody's really protective of Red Daughter at this point uh, because she, she does seem to be very endearing to a lot of people. So uh, I think uh, hopefully we'll see her, her ending uh, be a good one for her. All right. Alex wrote in to say, I was really impressed with the opening credits where we usually see the word Supergirl with the super symbol behind. This week it was replaced by the Russian words for Red Daughter in bold letters. Melissa Benoist and John Cryer speaking Russian language was also impressive. The showrunner showed great care in making sure they used the correct Russian. Maybe Alex knows that. (laughs) I personally never like hearing actors speaking English in heavy Russian accents. It sounds too much like Boris and Natasha from the old Bullwinkle cartoons, (laughs) which is pretty funny and an old reference that I unfortunately get because I'm old. (laughs) Yeah, you could get into the Boris and Natasha uh, arena if you weren't careful about it, but I thought they did a pretty good job. It seemed, at least it seemed effortless the way they were doing it. So it, uh, I, I, I was buying into it uh, for sure. And I do think, um, I don't know what your thoughts about this, Ange, are, uh, but the, the way that they uh, changed the title card when uh, there's a special episode, uh, I do think that's really neat. And I like the way they do that. They do that on Arrow too. I'm not sure if they do that on Flash. I can't remember of a time when they do it on Flash, but they do it on Arrow a lot. So I'm glad to see that Supergirl's getting creative with that. Yeah, it was great. I loved it. So new Rachel wrote in to address this week's episode title, writing, quote, I thought it had just been called The House of L because Lex considers himself to be better than Superman and the Superman figure that the world needs, especially now after getting powers. The House of L referencing his own family in a way that mimics the super family and their family line makes sense in this moment. But even though the storyline is very different from the Superman Red Sun comic, I saw this title as a as an as an allusion to that, too. A lot of words starting with an A right there. Very difficult <laughs> to say. Uh, but New Rachel goes on to say, in the end of the comic, the readers find out that over time, and she's talking about Superman Red Sun here, Lex's legacy has continued, and there have been generations of successful Luthers throughout time after Superman fakes his death. And we see that over time, the Luther name has been shortened with variations like Luth-145 and Luth-1938. But then we get the name of Lex's great-grandson to the power of 50, Jor-L. This makes 
makes the Red Sun universe Superman not Cal-L with an E-L, but Cal-L. And thus the House of L with an E-L and House of L with just an L become one and the same, unquote. New Rachel pulling stuff from Superman Red Sun. That is awesome. Uh, I think that's a great point and uh, something to consider. So lots of uh, layers to the episode title this week. Yeah. We have an email that comes from Daryl who writes, Lillian knows, Lex knows. The fact that Lena doesn't know that Kara is Supergirl seems not only stupid, but cruel at this point. <laughs> I don't think they can keep dragging this out any longer. <laughs> Tell me, will you be upset if she says, ah, I know all along and, and just didn't, uh, didn't let you know? Kind of do the cat grant? Uh, it depends on how they do it. Uh, but I personally think... Think I think what I would be happy with if she did know all along, because that would at least make her smart and she wouldn't have been yeah. fooled for so long. But I could also be into if they can make it work really well to have a big reveal where she finds out. Uh, but I, I'm personally hoping for, oh, I knew all along. I just didn't uh, let you in on it. But the way they've played her so far, I don't think she knows. Mm. Well, uh, Sam wrote in with some thoughts very close to my heart, and we kind of briefly talked about this already, but uh, Sam wrote, uh, quote, I appreciated the nod to Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice by having Lex know that Supergirl is Cara Danvers just as he knew Batman and Superman's identities in that movie. A number of detractors of Sna Zack Snyder's work on both Man of Steel and BVS have held up Supergirl as the standard for what his movie should have been in terms of tone and characterization. However, I have noticed a number of nods to his work in the series over the years, dating all the way back to season one when a fight scene between Kara and Astra was uncannily similar to the one between Zod and Superman at the end of Man of Steel. I would guess that whatever the fans think, think at least some of the people behind the scenes of the show are appreciative of Zack's work. Also, the political themes this season to do, uh, having to do with aliens, immigration, and fear of the other strike me as being very similar to the political themes in BVS. Although in that movie, all the anti-alien sentiment was focused on a single figure, Superman. There were even people carrying placards in that movie that said, go back where you came from. Yeah, I, uh, I would agree to that, that there are a lot of uh, similarities in the way they've shot fight scenes and uh, even the characterization of Lex Luthor. Um, I do think that there are a lot of nods to Zack Snyder and his work, and that stuff makes me really happy as a Zack Snyder fan and a fan of those films because... I'll be honest with you, uh, someone like me gets a lot of crap for loving those movies. Uh, so it's really nice to be able to see some of that stuff appear in the show because it makes me feel like that's being honored. One of the things, you know, the, the films I love and the interpretation of the characters that I love are in, appearing in something else. And it feels very rewarding uh, and it's very exciting for me personally. And it's interesting with uh, Batman v Superman, I don't have as much of a problem with the political uh, device used in the storytelling there. And I think I've, I've been thinking about that a lot this season that I really love BVS, but I've had a problem with the topical stuff in Supergirl. And I think the difference is, uh, well, there might be a couple. Like, one is the fact that Batman v Superman is set in a world kind of like ours, but it's not directly like ours. And I think Supergirl has tried to adapt more of our current situation into the show. But with BVS, it's 
they're they're dealing with their own things in that universe. And I think that makes it a little easier to digest and to see how those people would handle a situation like this. Um, and also, I, I just personally think that BBS is really well written. And so I think I'm willing to go with any kind of story as long as it's uh, written well with the themes and the storyline and the character arcs all uh, making sense and all uh, coalescing into one big story. So I, I think that there is an interesting way to uh, go about that where it's not as so much in your face. So uh, I appreciate your thoughts on that, Sam. Uh, it's good to good to see someone else recognize those elements in in the show. Um, and there was one uh, Lex Luthor uh, nod that I thought maybe was uh, a tie into Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor, but maybe they didn't intend it this way. But that's this is something I kind of uh, picked up on. Uh, Lex tells uh, little Mikhail that he says, I used to pray for a hero like the one you got. Took a long time, but here you are. And he's talking about Red Daughter. And I just thought that that was um, kind of a tie in to Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor and his motivation because he was abused by his father uh, growing up and he wanted someone to save him from that. He wanted someone to rescue him out of that abuse, but uh, no one came in his view. And so he takes all of that anger and that uh, that um, animosity towards uh, God not coming coming to save him. And he takes that all out on Superman as his uh, substitute for God and, and, and a way to take that out on, on someone. So uh, I thought that that was interesting that this Lex had prayed for a hero to get him out of a bad situation with his own father. So I thought that that was an interesting similarity. I love your passion about those Zack Snyder movies. I don't know if I always agree with it, but I love your passion and I love hearing everything that you have to say about it. It makes me try to think about them more. Well, well, I appreciate that you're open-minded enough to at least hear them out. Not, not a lot of people are, and a lot of people will dismiss me uh, right away. So I appreciate the fact that you're open-minded about that kind of thing. So uh, I, I appreciate that you appreciate it. All right. And our last email comes from Gina, who writes, The episode had minimal sightings of the regular cast, including Alex. And when the episode first started, I was like, okay, so this is going to focus on Red Daughter, and everyone else is kind of pushed to the background, even Danvers' sister stuff, which is fine. But nope. The first thing out of Fuzzy Capped Red Daughter was Alex Ugg that killed me. I don't know if she liked it or didn't like it. <laughs> I I, th- I I think it's uh it's an emotion of oh my gosh that was so good it just it just slayed me. Love it. Okay, because yeah, yeah. that's the way I felt about it. It harkens <laughs> back to the crossover in ways where Red Daughter doesn't know Alex, but somehow she has a connection to this person. Even when Lex claims to be the Alex she's looking for, she knows. It not to be entirely true, especially when she actually meets Alex, which I agree. I think that uh, I already talked about that brief scene with Kyla Lee I thought was just um, so powerful in uh, how it rippled uh, out towards Red Daughter. Yeah, it, it was a cool connection that uh, that this Red Daughter would have her first thing that she remembers. The first thing she says is Alex. I thought that was a really nice way to incorporate the Danvers sisters and the, the, the way they are such the, the central part of the show, the heart of the show, and, and to make that part of Red Daughter's story. Well, and we have a voicemail from Mauricio. Great episode, great comeback of action. So two quick questions. One, the special effects with the ball in the beginning with the Daily Planet, was that any cringy moments? Because it was so bad. I know I said this last week, but I, I saw that with Lex holding it. It's like, oh, that, 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 she's so noticeable. And two, I felt like this is a retcon or not, a, or, or the opposite of that where they added Tech Marker's evil, because I really doubt back in season two, their plan is to make her evil if they are still making seasons, because Flash is the biggest victim of having retcons and 
change timelines and storylines and all that. So I just want to know your opinion if you ever thought this was like an add-on or a retcon that they made. That's mocker evil. My bad. I'm sorry, guys. But until next Sunday. Take care. Adios. Bye. So one of his points was that he thought the effects with Lex holding the Daily Planet globe were bad. Um, I would agree to that uh, a little bit. It was uh, it was you could know you I, I at least noticed that it was a CGI situation. Uh, sometimes I think the best CGI effects are when you don't notice that it's CGI. So it, it was tough. But, you know, I mean, I have to give them a little grace because it's a TV show. They don't have a feature length film budget. Um, and so I, I, I applaud them for being ambitious and for making it at least uh passable for a TV show and making it uh, something that I could at least go with, even though it didn't look super fantastic. Uh, I, I appreciate that they they wrote, they they dreamed a scene and tried to make it happen. I think that's great. Yeah, I think that I already talked about the fact that instead of saving the plan, the Daily Planet Globe, they destroy the Daily Planet Globe as sort of like a contrast to Superman. So I was able to sort of look back, uh, look past a little bit of the wonkiness of the effects. Yeah. And uh, Mauricio uh, asks, does it seem like Miss Tessmacher working with Lex the entire time she's been on the show seem natural to what we've seen? Or does it feel like a retcon to get her to be evil? So what are your thoughts on that? Is Does it seem... Uh, like they've done a good job to to make it work? Uh, you know, I really have to go back and look at her first season because I'm trying to, like, you start to think of unsavory things like, didn't she sleep with Monel in the copy room? Like, yeah. was, that, was that part of it? Or was that just <laughs> Eve being Eve, right? So, um, so uh, but I think that, um, you know, you don't name her Miss Tessmacher without thinking all along, when is she going to go evil? So I actually... Um, uh, I think it seems natural. Yeah, I, I imagine that they would have had that in their back pocket the whole time, just waiting for the right moment to to pull it out and play that card. Um, and I think introducing Lex Luthor was the right time to do it, uh, the, the perfect time to do it. So, uh, yeah, I, I think uh, you make a good point, though, of, well, what was she doing back in season one? What, what, what was she doing in season two? Does it make sense that she was doing that as a way to to get to Lena? I don't know. Uh, but yeah, so I think that's uh, all good points to think about. This is at Kara underscore Quirrell, and it's time for... The Legion Minute. In this week's Supergirl, we saw the Red Daughter forming a very close relationship with Lex Luthor. This is very reminiscent of another non-Kara Supergirl from the time after the Crisis on Infinite Earths, when Kara Zor-El was removed from continuity. For those of you who listened to the Brainiac 5 Spotlight episode of this podcast, you will remember the death of Pocket Universe Superboy that led to Brainy's epic takedown of the Time Trapper. That pocket universe, however, did not cease to exist after Superboy's death. Instead, it continued on. Without Kal-El, that universe's Lex Luthor not only never lost his hair, but he also became a hero. Things, however, went sour when good Lex's Earth was threatened by Kryptonian criminals. To protect his world, Lex created what he called a protoplasmic matrix, or just matrix for short, which was an artificial life form, originally in the shape of his ex-wife Lana Lang, and he wanted her to fight the Kryptonian criminals. Lex showed Matrix footage of the main timeline Superman, and Matrix altered her shape by shifting her body into the form reminiscent of Kara Zor-El, even though Kara Zor-El had never existed in this universe. 
she still saw herself as female, and but she wanted to take on the aspect of Superman. Sadly, even though Matrix had cool new powers like shape-shifting and invisibility, she was no match for the Kryptonians, and the Pocket Universe Lex sent her to the main timeline to get the main timeline Superman's help. But by the time Kal-El and Matrix returned, it was too late to save the Pocket Universe. Unable to remain in the Pocket Universe, and mourning her Lex, Matrix returned to the main Earth, where she met our Lex Luthor, and she quickly fell in love with him. It was rather depressing time for Supergirl fans, as Matrix Supergirl became Lex's puppet and constantly needed his approval and affection. During this time, she met and seduced Brainiac 5 in order to get him to help her with a magic problem that she had caused. She eventually admitted her deception to him, and the two parted on good terms after the problem was resolved. After that, she returned to Lex and was with him for a long time. Lex even prevented her from interfering in Doomsday's attack that led to Superman's death. She finally turned on Lex after discovering his attempts to create a massive clone army from her DNA. That would do it for me, too. Uh, One last interesting note also is that Lex during this time period had recently suffered from a similar kryptonite-induced cancer, uh, which is very much like the one uh, on this week's episode, and that he recovered by replacing himself in a cloned body that had a full beard and a full head of hair, which reminded me very much of John Cryer's disguise uh, in this week's episode. That's all the time we have for the Legion Minutes. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr as Eckhar underscore Quarrel. Also make sure to catch me on at Swamp Thing Radio. Long live the Legion! When you look back at that early Matrix uh, character, she definitely is kind of a dupe to uh, this uh, version of Lex uh, in the comic at that point, and uh, really just you know does whatever he says and overlooks all of the bad stuff until it's really shoved into her face. And there were parts of this episode where I did feel like a little bit of that echo, especially like when she gets the package from him that says it's from Alex, and she smiles like, oh, like like a, a gift from my boyfriend. Um, uh, and then, much like in the comics, uh, once she gets sort of like a peek behind the curtain at how evil Lex is, um, she sort of rebels. Um, and in the comic, she definitely completely rebels and leaves him. Whereas here, after that initial rebellion, of course, we don't know how this all ends. But after that scene on the boat, um, she sort of like falls back in line. Um, but there were some echoes there of that sort of like uh, unconditional devotion and willingness to sort of like look for the best in things. To my knowledge, uh, Lex and uh, Supergirl don't have a huge uh, history in the comics in terms of their close relationship. As far as I understand, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but that's mostly just the the Matrix uh, version. But I like that shows like Smallville and even now with Supergirl have been able to play with that a little bit. Yeah, um, it's it's always fun to recognize that um, that little element of her history because. Uh, Personally, for me, when I first started getting into comics, one of the first uh, big stories that I read was the death of Superman. And so that had a little bit of the Matrix Supergirl and her relationship with that version of Lex with the the long red hair, who was uh, sort of a weird version of Lex with the weird version of Supergirl. So it was it was maybe not the best introduction to Supergirl in the comics for me, but uh, it, it was one of the first ones that I uh, saw. So it's sort of neat 
neat to see those things being used in these shows. Yeah, I agree. Well, uh, before we wrap up our feedback section, we have some snap judgments sent in by our listeners. In the game of snap judgments, each person is presented with two options, but must only choose one. First instincts are recommended and explanations are unnecessary. So, Ange, if you are willing to make some tough decisions, we are going to give it a go. I have been so pumped for this part of the show that uh, <laughs> that I can barely contain myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome to our uh, game where these these are going to really test your your feelings and your emotions. All right. So the first uh, snap judgment is from Miriam, who asks the show bringing back all the forgotten characters and storylines or the show dropping all the topical storylines. That is a tough one. So uh, what would you pick there, Ange? Um, I just need to know, finally, what the hell's going on with Jeremiah. So I'm saying <laughs> bring back all the forgotten characters. I can't deal with it anymore. Yeah, that is a really, really tough question. Um because I really don't like the topical storylines, but maybe I could put up with them if we did get Jeremiah Danvers back and if we got maybe Lucy Lane back and had a storyline with Lucy and Lois, I could be into that. Um, yeah, I uh, I think I'm going to pick the show bringing back all the forgotten characters. Let's let's get some more. I would love to see General Lane again. I really enjoyed him and Glenn Morshower is the coolest. So, uh, yeah. That's what I'm going to go with. That's a tough one, though, right off the bat. Um, so we have some snap judgments from Abby, who uh, the first one asks, uh, Corbin using kryptonite to free Lillian at her trial or Lex poisoning everyone at his trial. So we've got two different Luthers at trial, and they uh, both uh, got out of it in uh, extravagant and violent ways. So which one uh, do you think was, I guess... More interesting to watch, I guess, is the question. Yeah, I'm going to go with Lex because I think that um, he's such a cunning guy that, like, the hidden, like, I don't, you don't even realize I'm killing you is better than half-robot dude shooting green lasers. Mm. So I'm going to say Lex. Yeah, I'm going to go Lex as well uh, for a similar reason. Uh, it starts off kind of quiet and just a regular trial, and then it becomes something very sinister and evil. So I think uh, if, if you're going to go villainous route, I guess uh, Lex poisoning everyone at his trial uh, was the, uh, the more villainous event. All right, so Abby's next snap judgment is Cara Danvers and Lena Luther or Red Daughter Cara and Lex Luther. Which which uh, relationship do you prefer? I think I gotta go Cara and Lena. Uh, I think they're they're uh, uh, they're good friends, and I kind of like uh, Lena. Kind of being is she evil? Not evil. Kind of adds a little friction to the whole thing um, more than the other. Yeah, I do like Kara being friends with Lena, but uh, I think in terms of story and character, I actually really liked the red daughter Kara and Lex Luthor relationship. Uh, I thought it was very uh, fascinating, and I was very into it. So that's what I'm going to pick. Um, and Abby's last snap judgment is Red Daughter pretending to be Kara or Jean pretending to be Kara last season. Every time he's done it, uh, Melissa Benoist has always made, you know, Kara talk 
in a John sort of way. So I have to do uh, Jean pretending to be Kara. I think I would also pick Jean pretending to be Kara as well. Uh, the the red daughter pretending to be Kara just there there was a there was a creepy factor to it that I wasn't really uh, sure about. But the the Jean stuff is is Melissa gets to really play with something else when she's doing that. So I, it always makes me laugh. All right, so our last set of snap judgments come from Gina. So the first one is Red Daughter's uh, athleisure suit, I guess, is the uh, the kind of uh, the gray and red suit that she has on when she's kind of, you know, punching the walls and, and uh, experiencing her powers in the, the woods or her new super suit that Lex gives her. Which one would you pick, Ange? A hundred percent the athleisure suit. It just looks like it wicks the sweat away from your body. (laughs) It's form-fitting. It looks very comfortable to me. Um, If I could pull it off, I would wear it. I liked her shoes. She had some really cool sneakers (laughs) on. Um, So (laughs) I think, although I thought the the way they chose to go about the Red Daughter suit was was interesting. She's wearing pants, uh, which is different from Supergirl's suit. Um, So there's a difference there. And I thought they did a, a a pretty good job with the uh, S-Shield logo. Uh, so I thought the design of that was pretty cool. But I think in terms of comfort, <laughs> I would pick the leisure suit as well. Uh, so next, Gina asks, uh, Lex wearing the Lexo suit or Lillian wearing the Lexo suit? Which do you prefer? Uh, Lillian wearing the Lexo suit. Oh, interesting choice. Uh, as much as I love Lillian Luther, seeing Lex with the Lexo suit was pretty awesome. So I'm going to give it to Lex on that one. Uh, but we all know that my heart is with, with Lillian Luther always. Um, so our final snap judgment of the episode, Red Daughter's fuzzy hat or hat's hat? This this is a really tough one, Ange. Uh, which, which is your choice? Uh, I know full well the love of hat's hat, <laughs> but as somebody who lives in New England and actually has a fuzzy hat when for those snow days, I got to go Red Daughter's fuzzy hat. That is fair. She looked actually really cute in that hat. Um, she was really rocking that hat. Um, I... Uh... I think I'm going to go hats hat on this. This is a hats hat podcast, as we have established on Supergirl Radio. The thing about hats hat is that you could pull a fuzzy hat out of it if you wanted to. <laughs> so it's always the kind of go to answer. Uh, so, I mean, any snap judgment where you're like hats hat or something else, you just you pick hats hat and then you've got that something else. So uh, I'm, I'm going to go hats hat on that one. No judgments on your snap judgments. Great snap judgments. Thanks for everybody sending those in. And thanks for everyone who sent in tweets and emails and uh, all your questions. So thank you for all that uh, feedback that you uh, wanted to share, everybody, for the House of L. It was a very uh, uh, good episode because a lot of people wanted to send things in. And thank you so much, Ange, for coming on the podcast and sharing your thoughts on this week's episode. Uh, Where can our listeners find you on the Internet? Uh, I just have to, again, thank you for inviting me. I've loved this show from the very beginning. And so I really feel honored that you uh, asked me to come on. Uh, you can find me most active on Twitter at Dr. Ange 70. I do run a Supergirl fan site um, at Comic Box Commentary over on Blogspot. And I also do Friday features on the Legion of Superbloggers because I also love the Legion of Superheroes. So that's where you can find me. Uh, well, consider me honored that you would come on Supergirl Radio. Uh, we will have to do it again sometime. Well, if you would like to contact Supergirl Radio, you can post a comment 
comment on our website at supergirlradio.com. You can email us at supergirlradio at gmail.com. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail like Mauricio does so faithfully every week, uh, you can call us at 678-718-7252. Make sure you get all that feedback in before Tuesdays around 6.30 p.m. Eastern. That really helps us a lot. Uh, You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at Supergirl Radio. You can listen to us on Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, where we also have a Spotify playlist that includes music featured on and inspired by the show. And actually, while um, we're here, I should mention that in the scene... Uh, where uh, when Red Daughter is reading the books, uh, they play Jazz Suite Number Two, uh, Waltz Two. Uh, I I think it's Jazz Suite Number Two, and then there's I guess it's a movement, uh, Movement Six, Waltz Two. It's a very complicated title, uh, but that music also has a Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice connection. I noticed it right away, and it made me want to go watch BVS again, because that is during the scene when Diana talks to the uh, museum curator about the Sword of Alexander. So both Batman v Superman and uh, this episode of Supergirl uh, used that piece of music to talk about uh, Alexander the Great. So I thought that was a neat connection as well. So you can find that music on our Spotify playlist. We are also on Radio Public and Podchaser. So basically anywhere you get podcasts, we're there. We are listed on DC's fan page, which you can find at dccomics.com slash dc-fans. We are available on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher Radio. So if you have some time, we encourage you to give us a rating and write us a review. And if you are a like Rebecca that's so much information I can't deal with it don't don't worry it's on supergirlradio.com on the right side of the page you can find all of our links to everything there and uh, now we throw it over to Richard for the DC TV plugs oh yeah this is the macho man Randy Savage and I'm here to tell you that Supergirl Radio is a part of the DC TV podcast network so if you like other shows on their network like Arrow the Flash, Legends of Tomorrow, Zombie, Black Lightning, Krypton, Batwoman, Titans, Doom Patrol, Swamp Thing, Stargirl, and don't forget the classic DC TV shows. You can subscribe to all of this on DC TV Podcasts, on Apple Podcasts, and follow at DC TV Podcasts on Twitter. And like DC TV podcasts on Facebook. Oh, yeah. Dig it. And you can find me on Twitter at Derby Kid and Instagram at The Derby Kid. I voice a character named Leanne on a sketch comedy podcast called The Fakest. Uh, we've recorded a couple episodes of season two so far. Very funny. I'm excited for everyone to hear it. Um, And I am also a contributor to Justice League Universe podcast. So we talk about the DC films. Uh, uh, So I know we talked a lot about Batman v. Or I did because I love Batman v. Superman, Dawn of Justice so much. Uh, We talk about uh, all of those films in that universe uh, on Justice League Universe podcast. Well, that's going to do it for this episode on The House of L. But until next time, I'm still Rebecca Johnson. And don't harm when you can heal is actually pretty good advice. (laughs) 